Hello, everyone. Uh, this is John McDonald with my lovely co-star, Magnus. Hi, Magnus. Hello. Hi. How, how British was that? Yes, Hello. no, that was great. Hello. The, the <laughs> only thing that would make that more British is if you talked about um, your cat, as Mrs. Slocum did, on uh, Are You Being Served? Mm. Oh, what was some of her phrases? Like, but the, are there accommodations for my pussy? Yeah, like that. That would be the only thing that made it more British for me, I think. Um, okay, so before we actually talk about today's episode, and I've been telling people mm. I'm doing this, so I know people are listening and excited, I think it behooves us to talk a little bit about death of an author, because I think in that, in the case of Buffy, it applies more than it does to Harry Potter, because J.K. Rowling is still involved a lot. Mm. Um for me, if you had asked me two years ago to do this episode, and the reason we're doing this in March is not just because it's musical month. March is also the Buffy anniversary. Um, okay. I don't know when this was ex when this was decided, but March is the month people celebrate uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Uh, as far as I'm aware, Joss Whedon has not been a big part of fandom in a long while. I know that the comic books have gone all the way out to season 12. Um, I haven't read a comic book since they made Giles into like a younger version of himself and since they brought in Billy, but I know the comics are still kind of going. I don't know how mm. much he's involved in that. Um, this episode will be kind of Joss Whedon heavy, if only because Once More Feeling was something he really pushed for and something he'd been planning almost since the inception of the series. Mm. And so... A lot of what we're going to talk about is kind of overshadowed by the monster we found out Joss was. But beyond that, it feels like a lot of the principal actors still celebrate their roles. There's a big sense of community still for, uh, for I get, I, they're not called Slayerettes anymore. They, they, they kind of go by the Scooby gang still. Ooh. For Buffy mm. the Vampire Slayer fans, it does feel like there's still a sense of ownership that the Harry Potter fandom doesn't have just because J.K. Rowling just won't leave it alone. Um, mm. So, if this is something where Joss's issues that he created behind the scenes, the things you've heard um, from the actresses that were in the show that kind of disturb you, doesn't sit well with your mental well-being, um, it's okay to not listen in. I, I would prefer if you did, because I think this is a really important episode, both for Buffy and for television as a whole, and for mm. people of my generation. But I also want to honor people that can't overlook Joss, the monster. It's understandable. I understand it. I give you permission to go do something else if you need to. But for those who want to talk about it, we are going to talk about once more with feeling today, which mm. is probably the highest rated episode of Buffy that was mm. ever made. It has a 9.7 uh, uh, out of 10 on IMDb. Um, along with Hush, it is one of the episodes that mm. won awards, and they both kind of have um, interesting theming parallels in them. Um, and because it's an even-numbered Buffy season, I really like it, because for some reason the odd-numbered Buffy seasons didn't do anything for me, except for the final one. Um, but it's an even number of Buffy season, so I'm a big fan of it, so. You could say it might be something to do with ritual numbers and such, so. Um, I, maybe yeah, it could. 
I, I yeah. also think season six was really strong because it didn't it had a lot to prove and it had nothing to prove as well. Because season six, in mm -hmm. which Once More the Feeling takes place, was after the move to UPN, after WB had dumped what had been one of its flagship shows uh, for five years. And so it both had nothing to prove, so it was more artistically free, and it had a lot to prove mm -hmm. to keep the fandom going and the spirit of Buffy alive. And I'd argue season yeah. six is probably the strongest season of the whole series. And that's as someone that is a big fan of Angel Angelus. So season two is very important. Uh, season mm -hmm. four, I actually really like the transition to college, but season six is where all of the things they talk about in Buffy generally really come to a head. And especially once more mm -hmm. the feeling takes a lot of the ideas of family and communication and miscommunication and mistrust. And it really creates this musical episode that isn't just a musical episode. Um, and I think it's actually fairly important both for Buffy and for TV. So that's why I, that's why I bamboozled Magnus into talking about it as, uh, <laughs> as part of musical, uh, musical theater month, because it is, it comes from that tradition. It just happened to be on TV. So hmm. Well, you clearly have a an immense passion for this episode. Well, for Buffy in general. As I well. mean, I I um, enjoyed it more than Passions, although Spike loved <laughs> Passions. That was a kind of a running theme throughout the show, um, which brings me amusement. So here's what's interesting I found out before we talk about it, is mm. that there are two versions of Buffy the Vampire Slayer actually in Britain, where you are. Um, when it first came into syndication and it was on uh, BBC One and, I guess, Skybox, they heavily edited it for the time slot it was in. Um, I could be wrong. I could get the names wrong. But the point is, when they when it first came across the pond, they edited it uh, the first couple of seasons, and there was such backlash they had to re-release it unedited um, in a later time slot so people could actually watch the episodes as intended and even though there's not a great deal of violence in buffy it's it's much more cartoon kung fu violence or anything um there's there's like i find it interesting to think that you would need to really edit buffy down that much um anywho that was something interesting i found out i, I could be wrong about the names of the stations but that's definitely something that is in the legacy of buffy is the edited episode so yeah, that that's interesting. I was going to say I didn't think BBC One of all things would be showing Buffy because um, so be so for people that might not be aware of how our terrestrial television works over here, um, we have five channels which are sort of like everyone can view. Well, if you have a TV license, um, BBC One, BBC Two, ITV, Channel Four, and Channel Five, and they're all quite well known for different styles of programming and bbc one's always seen itself as more sort of like staunch um like family friendly um more, dare i say slightly more serious um television so you'll get the news you'll get documentaries and things um i'd have to check but i think that buffy would have been on bbc two because that's where you've got all of your sort of syndicated um action shows and things like that um star trek battlestar galactica all that stuff was on bbc2 i remember a lovely glorious day is when i was a wee nipper watching all the 
like random episodes of basically everything <laughs> because it was very difficult to get enough time to sit down and watch um seasons week on week when there was so much going on as a teenager um so um yeah it would have been that but it was definitely a bit of a cult classic here in the uk when it was being shown Um, and it is uh that that's one of buffy's hallmarks is not Mm. only is buffy a cult classic unto itself but a lot of its references um Mm. are very cult not just because it's the horror community uh buffy herself is based off of an x-men character very influenced by that uh, the series itself has the feeling of an updated version of the cult classic Night of the Comet, where it's an end-of-the-world zombie apocalypse scenario, but the survivors that you stick with are, like, 80s valley girls. And so, in a way, it's a show that is about pastiche, but it's also a show that's about the high school experience. So, for me, mm-hmm. in Buffy, I went right from... Boy Meets World when that premiered in 93 and then when Buffy premiered in I think it was 97 if I remember correctly Mm, I think that's correct yeah so when Buffy premiered I was just kind of aging out of Boy Meets World but I still wanted to do like a high school series I wasn't quite old enough for Freaks and Geeks I wasn't quite old enough for what would become the kind of Boston public show and so I really kind of latched on Buffy the Vampire Slayer for a reason mm. a lot of people did. The pop culture references, yeah. uh, the wink and nod to what maturity is, kind of the weirdness of it, the uh, the Nerf Herder intro theme, uh, which is fairly iconic and which was so important to the show, it got one of the releases of the four different albums that were made for um, for Buffy the Vampire mm. Slayer as a show. So it's, it's a really big phenomenon. I think mm. in hindsight... We don't feel it, but this show for seven years was, mm. I, I I mean, even it, its ending episode had almost five million viewers. I mean, that mm. is not a small amount, especially for, because no. um, WB and UPN here in the States were never really considered one of the big four stations. Mm. And so for them to have any kind of audience that size is really big. And you know, we've got a role-playing tabletop RPG game for Buffy now. Um, they've got board games that are still coming out. I, I think season 12 is still being written for the comic books, like it's still coming out. So Buffy is an ongoing thing that's just not as big as it used to be. And I don't know if people quite remember, but it was for a long time, if you were a Buffy mm-hmm. fan, that was kind of the center of your world because there was so much about it that you could enjoy depending upon what you like in the show so yes and dare i say it was part of that um buffy was part of the sort of witchy magic revival era that you had at that time um you had sabrina the teenage witch come out in 1996 charm came out in 1998 yeah. Buffy came out in 1997. Um, you had all of these different shows which had a heavy in- emphasis on mythology, magic, um, and women empowerment as well. And um, Xena, uh, Xena Warrior Princess yep. is a little earlier, but I would also throw Xena in there when people compare musical episodes of things. There is a Xena musical episode. It's not as heavily musical, but um, there is like 
yeah, like Xena would be a part of that. And then, of course, Buffy mm. would lead to things like Heroes, which then leads to something like Once Upon a yep. Time and Sense8. So, like, yeah, so Buffy is kind of in the middle of all of this, uh, which is mm. really cool, so. Yes. Um, no, definitely. And I'd like to touch upon the musical episode's impact um, a little later on in terms of what it it influenced down the line but maybe we should um look at the actual substance of the episode first before uh, i raise that point sure um Mm. so something important about this musical episode is that Mm. um one of the things i was reading in the wiki which i hadn't considered is the idea that this episode allows people to communicate um in a way that musical Mm. theater doesn't often allow and so a big hallmark of buffy season six isn't just the transition into further adulthood but specifically this episode is about things that they've been unwilling to communicate for a while so this is Mm. kind of a nexus point of the series going back before it was on upn and moving forward through the rest of season six so Mm. yeah yeah it definitely was a culmination of five seasons of various things that had been coming up and such. And I mean, you'd had dr- dramatic events happen before this. So I believe this was after Buffy's resurrection. Uh, yes, that's a that's a big crux of the episode, actually. Mm. Yes. So definitely, um, <laughs> I was just thinking you were saying about musical theater doesn't allow people to speak in this way, but. Quite often you see people on stage belting out, I miss her, I want her. (laughs) Is that that the crux of musical theater though? Yeah, but this is a case in which it's used for people to actually hear other thoughts. It isn't really an aside Mm -hmm. aspect to it. One thing that's great about this is the intentionality of everyone hearing everyone else say um, Ah. is really important. It's not just playful, but it also changes the dynamic of the show moving forward because everything that happens after this episode Buffy's revelation about having been in heaven instead of hell uh, the revelation that Willow was messing with Tara's memory so Tara wouldn't leave her um, the revelation of uh, Giles not really wanting to be a father figure to Dawn like all, all the different revelations that happen in this episode impact all the individual storylines and it's really good. I will also point out that this episode is the only episode to feature, except for Amber Benson as Tara, this episode features all of the main cast that had been there for the longest amount of time. Um, and the only reason that Tara McClay doesn't have more screen time um, is because she's not really in season seven that much. But like this, this episode features literally all of the main cast members that had been in pretty much all of the episodes up to that point Uh, michelle trachtenberg is obviously the kind of outlier as dawn but she'd been a big part of the series since the start of season five so Hmm. so would you argue that narrative narratively from what you said um considering it was the nexus for stuff beforehand and what happens next would you say narratively this is perhaps the most important um, episode of the season, if not maybe of the series? 
I think that would be a very fair assessment because in Buffy they always had a monster of the week that kind of led into the big bad of the season, quote unquote. So you've got, Mm -hmm. you know, Faith and the Mayor in season three, Glory in season five, um, even Angel Angelus in season two. So I would say there are some episodes in season two, like in Innocence, where Buffy brings Angelus back through sleeping with him. That is a very important turning point in the series because it affects everything that happens down the road. But I think even in context of season seven and the final battle and things like that, I think more attention, more attention to detail was placed in this. Um, But I also think that because the point of Buffy was never really about slaying vampires, it was about the idea of what vampires represented, um, that it is probably one of the more important episodes in the whole series, perfectly honest. Mm. Because it sounds as if... um... Like it sounds like if they hadn't had this episode, then what came afterwards might have been incredibly different. I don't know how else they would have done a reveal episode mm. that wouldn't have just been exposition. Something about musicals that makes them great is that you can use a song to do the exposition, mm. to act as an aside, to give an emotional intensity to something without interrupting the story to do so. Um, here, there are winks and nods to the idea of breaking the fourth wall. Uh, there are great songs about people being really honest in a way they can't be otherwise. Uh, the music accompanies that, especially mm. when Buffy talks about I think I was in heaven. It goes down to like a B diminished, very sour note, and her voice gets really strained. Um, mm. And I think that there's something in doing that where if she had just been honest with them about where she had been without the musical accompaniment it wouldn't have worked as well um yeah. i also love seeing sunnydale more highly stylized in color which was not something you saw a lot of in the show because a lot of it was very shadowy very nighttime um <laughs> this is a version of sunnydale that's very saturated in color the costumes were a little more saturated in color especially in the bronze uh, which was made bigger for this specific episode, uh, the villain of the episode is very queer coded, which is super cool. Um, Hinton Battle, I think I got that name right, who plays uh, Sweet. Uh, the demon was from Broadway. Um, and so there's a lot of great stuff with this kind of one off villain you never see again. And it's always a villain who, and I think I'm, I think I'm getting better at making up that I could do this. This would be like, one of the two roles from Buffy I would ever cosplay as would be Sweet the Demon. Oh, yeah. That's the other one I can't. Crazy. The other one I can't figure out how to do because it would involve me floating in the air, and I can't quite figure out the budget for <laughs> for floating <laughs> platform shoes. Um, well, if if I ever have some surplus amount of money, sir, then let's talk about it. We'll find you some sort of like. Um, transparent stage or something that you can stand on and then that would give you the illusion of floating if we ever have a chance to do that i appreciate that um (laughs) i think what maybe we should do for this episode is we can just kind of go through the episode and inside of going through that we'll be able to um discuss both the series and this episode itself um one thing to know is that this episode was 
not heavily edited, but it's the longest episode of Buffy. It is eight minutes over every other episode, and that was after mm. editing, apparently. Um, and the edits are very minor. I think there's one verse of a song that was taken out, but there was much longer overture intro um, before going through the motions that we don't uh, get, which might actually be on the cast album for this. Um, the cast album is amazing visually. If you've never seen the Once More Is Feeling cover album with the blue in the really kind of old Roger Hammerstein font, you should find it. It's really good looking. Um, <laughs> but we start off with a torch song from Buffy. So they talk about this as like part of your world. Um, this is a musical tradition where there's an I want song where a character sings about what they want. Um, or what they're missing, and that's how you kind of align yourself and you kind of choose to cheer for them with the show. They start off with that. They start off with the uh, Going Through the Motions song, uh, which Sarah Michelle Geller is walking through a graveyard, stabbing vampires into dust, talking about how everything doesn't feel real anymore, um, and she's going through the motions of life, and it's a really, it's a really strong opening song in my mind. Um, also because the vampires get into it with her, she's not just singing. Like, the vampires are responding in song, too, as she's stabbing them. That's really only something Buffy could get away with. Like, I think Charmed even took itself a little seriously, in that if Charmed had tried to do this, it, it would not have gone off, in my mind. I could be wrong about that. Um, mm. But I feel like Charmed... Charmed was really great for a lot of things. I don't think Charmed could have really done a musical episode, at least not the way Buffy did. So. No, I see your point. Because, hmm, I'm trying to think how to describe it. I, I instinctively know what you're talking about. Um, I think the best way to describe it is that Charmed always had it a bit more serious and a, a bit more... Um, definitely not playing around with the pop culture elements and such um whereas buffy because of its distinct like campness in places um yeah. can kind of embrace it a bit more freely than what charm could have done it probably would have come across as a bit too forced if they tried to write some some demon cursing the sisters to start singing their of, of feelings everywhere <laughs> Sorry, I'm yeah. just imagining it. <laughs> no, it's it's okay. And this is where someone who loves um, genre mm. shows, which is what Buffy and Charm both really were, mm. there yeah. is a difference between these types of shows. You can even look at oh, something yeah. like Buffy versus Angel, the spinoff of it. Um, mm. There's something very different in tone. Uh, there's something very different in style. And so, like, genre shows aren't a one-for-one. One. Like, the, like, the Beauty and the Beast procedural from the 80s can't be like the Beauty and the Beast procedural from like the 2010s or whenever they made that show. Because um, mm. it's it's a genre, it's stylized, but it's also Buffy was very adamant about not taking itself too seriously. That Night of the Comet push to kind of give commentary, to start um, creating lingo and pop culture was just not something Charm did. It was a very good show, but that was not the point of Charm. Yeah. Um, I think so, at least. Um all right, uh, so then here's something kind of interesting. So next morning uh, at the magic at the magic box, which is where uh, most of the characters now work outside of Buffy, who I think might still work at the um, 
chicken place where she almost got like murdered yeah. by the old grandma. Uh, that not was chicken like, fillet. Not not Chick Fil A. It was it wasn't in. It, um, yeah, Chick Fil A was never that popular. It's a weird thing, but it was like an in series like fast food place that she worked at in in uh, uh, mid season five after Joyce after Joyce had died, uh, okay. which is which is a which is also a really great episode. Hush the body and once more, uh, once more feeling are three of the strongest episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I think. Um, mm. So Buffy comes to the magic box and lies about not being able to remember what she sang about because she cannot tell these people that resurrected her that they took her out of heaven. Because they were, <laughs> by the way, this is like the one time in all the Buffy verse that we really see heaven mentioned, uh, by mm. the way, in this episode. Because most of the time, Joss kind of couched it in like, and etherealness, he used the phrase powers that be or PTB, which became a big thing in the fandom. This is really the first and maybe the only time I think in all Buffy Burst where it's actually called heaven as a concept. Um, I don't think that occurs anywhere else that I can remember in the entire show. Uh, because hell be out of love of, because they're on the hellmouth, the hell is, you know symbolism for all the things you go through at maturity this is the first time and maybe the only time heaven is alluded to i don't think even in the comic series heaven is alluded to that much um so i find I, that very interesting so i don't remember if i've heard it elsewhere myself or top of my head but i haven't read a number of the books and the comics so i can't so i can't say whether they do mention it or not in there there's a lot of comics, and they're not evenly paced. That's all that I will say about the comics <laughs> right now. Um, I would argue that when the gang here sings all together, when they do the I've Got a Theory song with Anya Bunnies, and then um, the If We're Together thing that Buffy instigates, um, this is probably the most remembered song from this show currently because it's the one of the funnier songs and it's probably one of the only times we hear willow sing in the whole show because allison hannigan begged joss to not make her sing too much um famously <laughs> one of the things that people loved about this is that all the actors sang um even mm. if they didn't have strong acting talents the only two that have acting talents like credentials are james marster who was in band and anthony stewart head who played giles who if you've seen repo the genetic opera he sings in that but he'd also been in godspell chess and the rocky horror show um so anthony stewart had yeah. like so when he sang on the show that was actually him singing in this episode um <laughs> you see a little bit of what we got in repo out of him uh but but Quite famously, Michelle Trachtenberg was like, please don't make me sing too much. I have ballet training. Just make me dance. And then Alison <laughs> Hannigan again was like, please don't make me sing at all. But we go from this kind of, if we're in it together, we can succeed song that Buffy starts. Um, and then we get uh, Tara and Willow doing their sapphic ode um, under your spell, which later we get a kind of bitter reprise of really well. But under Your Spell is um, the dirtiest song, uh, and Joss Whedon kind of claimed this. It was the dirtiest song he'd ever write, but it's also the most poignant. 
Um, and I think it's important to know that under your uh, under your spell is an important moment in sapphic television because Kara and Willow were the first lesbian couple um, reoccurring mm. on TV. And so this very intimate, very like Lilith Fair body worship of the female body song is not just erotic, but it's also just important in how representation occurred on television mm. is it perfect no it is not perfect um especially now some of the transition scenes in the song do show age but it's kind of like clarissa explains it all in which even though it's kind of showing its age it's still very important um mm. Yeah, yes. but uh, Under Your Spell is a great song, not just because Under Your Spell is, is a great song about a relationship, but because that reprise done later where Tara does it with Giles um, is this great flip uh, between desire and truth that is kind of an underlying concept in this whole um, in this whole production, so yeah. Hmm. Um... Oh, I forgot what my point was going to be. Um, what was my point going to be? Um, oh yes, I was going to say that. Um, well, the thing is, um, groundbreaking stuff is rarely perfect, um, because of the fact that, you know, it's something new and such. Um, if it hasn't been something done before that is being done for the first time, um, you can't expect it to. You know, have all the kinks worked out and such. I mean, I was discussing this with someone a while back about the old Queerest Folk. Like, it does feel dated now when you rewatch it, but at the same time, it was so groundbreaking for the time it came out. And it is still a landmark piece of queer representation on television. Um, yeah. And you just have to accept it that it's a, dare I say, a product of its era. Um, and that sort of also makes it quite important and, in that sense. And I would throw something like Boys in the Band in along with mm. that, where now it feels very piercing and a little hurtful. But at that time, Boys in the Band was the only discussion about queer culture that was being had on stage anywhere. So you have to give things a little grace, um, especially mm. something like that. I, they're really... I don't think people understand that even when this episode came out in 2001, except for special coming out or lesbian kiss episodes, there were not lesbians on TV. There were no lesbians in Bull and Grace. The only lesbian on mainstream was um, Ross's first wife and her lover on Friends. And they were constantly the butt of jokes uh, when they did yeah. not deserve that. Ross does not come out great in that series and I'm really glad no. people are finally getting it but like I don't mm. think people understand like I, I feel like Under Your Spell is a really important thing to have done that is on par with what Queer as Folk did in being very brazen about the idea of sex and sexuality um, and I, I, I think Under Your Spell is a very good song I just think like the visuals distract a little bit of it, but it's a playful song. It's a sexual song. Um, it's a song that easily would not be like out of place on a Melissa Etheridge CD, and I would not be mad about it. Um, I would like to see 
So when people talk about this episode, they talk about little one-off songs like The Mustard, where David Fury, who's one of the executive producers, does like an 18-second song, and these like little 18-second songs are fillers in between the bigger emotional songs. Um, I kind of wish people would point to Under Your Spell more than they would point to something like The Mustard. Not that The Mustard's not a great song, but the emotional songs are more important to me here, just like the mm. emotional songs, the emotional beats of Buffy have always been the important thing. Um, and I would argue Under Your Spell is followed by I'll Never Tell, which is kind of this bubblegum pop, 1950s, old school pastiche, um, how to succeed in business number. And it's not bad, but Under Your Spell very much means a lot more than I'll Never Tell, even though I'll Never Tell is more important to the plot of the story. Under Your Spell, I think it's a much bigger song. Um, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. No, it's... um. I was just thinking back to Willow, now that you speak of her and such. I, from what I recall, um, everyone over here was always quite like um i didn't hear any negative commentary about willow she was always quite well received um as a lgbt icon i think willow's an side. important character i do wish and this could have been done because there's been lots of philosophy books written about buffy i kind of wish and we didn't have this language in 2001 tv but mm. people call her a lesbian icon but she was dating oz for a while and it never mm -hmm. felt inauthentic. So I do wonder if it would be more appropriate to have Willow as a bisexual icon that just happened to be mm -hmm. in a sapphic relationship when Tara passed away. It, it, it's one of those things where, like, I, I do wonder if we shouldn't be um, reclaiming Willow as a bisexual icon. I don't know if Allison Hannigan has been asked about that, but she's been very honest about her time on Buffy. So, um, mm. yeah. Might might have to put a pin in that and uh, go away and do further research. Well, and uh, Buffy is one of those shows where we'll probably do more about the series as a whole, because um, mm. I would argue we could at least do like a four-episode structure like what we did for Once Upon a Time with Buffy. Um, <laughs> there'd, there'd, be, there'd be plenty there, um, but it, it's, it's one of those things where like it was important to me to kind of talk about this during Musical Theater Month, because there's so many different traditions mm. of musical theater in this show um the next song up after i'll never tell is spike who's played by james marsters fabulously doing rest in peace a song where he kind of rebuffs buffy even though they have this like secret friendship and she has confessed to him that she was in heaven so he's the only one that knows the secret that he's also bearing and he went through this big life transition and going from being kind of this carefree monster to have a chip implanted in him so he could only hurt other monsters, and it was acting as sort of the pseudo-soul. Um, Rest in Peace is the one that my friend who I introduced Buffy to, who's like one of my quote-unquote straight friends, this was his favorite song in the show. Um, it's very brooding, very rock and roll. Uh, James Marsters' Billy Idol persona is on full display as Spike, and I think this song works particularly well um, as its own kind of I want slash torch song. And it also means that if you look at going through the motions 
and Rest in Peace together, it shows how well-suited Buffy and Spike really were for each other in the second half of Buffy's life, quote-unquote, so. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, Spike. Sorry, I'm remembering all of the, uh, (laughs) all the slash fiction with him and Angel at the second, because that was something that was a, a minor period that happened as well. I, I was a much bigger fan of uh, Angel and Xander, but that was just stuff that I had to work through for myself. Uh, <laughs> Angel, Angel was one of my first queer awakenings on TV, and I'm I'm pretty honest about that as part of my journey as a writer. Um, but yeah, so Rest in Peace is a really great example of kind of, I guess, a male torch song, because you don't really get men doing I Want Songs on Broadway as much. Um, mm. Grow For Me from Little Shop, I can think of. Um, maybe a couple of songs from Cats, but they're not really... Cats is not a show you take very seriously, honestly. Um, <laughs> even in something really high and melodramatic and artistic like Phantom of the Opera, uh, I guess Les Mis probably has one. But off the top of my head, I can't think of a lot of songs like Rest mm. in Peace, which is really a song about the confliction of desire. It takes place almost solely underground, which is really neat, not just because he's a vampire, but it has that very grungy, earthen, um, almost the complement of the idea of both of them being walking dead, essentially, because he's a vampire and she just feels empty after being pulled out of heaven, mm. so... I think Rest in Peace is probably a really exquisite song that when people rediscover it, they love it. But, like, you have to, like, get to the place in the show where you rediscover the song. (laughs) And it's quite interesting to give um, Spike, you know, such a powerful song, um, particularly in a female-centric show where... Um, I know that Spike, Xander, Giles, Angel, they were never sent second fiddle to any of the female cast members, but Buffy always was a, like, you know. Yeah, well, Angel only got a spinoff because they did that episode with the bees where he had, like, his female-centered monologue when they switched genders in their soul. That was the only reason that he got Angel to spinoff was because they saw him be able to act in his more feminine nature, still as Angel. So it's not out of place to say. Joss Whedon has said in an interview somewhere, it ended up on Wikipedia, that um, Stephen Sondheim really influenced the way that things happened in Once More the Feeling. So I bet if you look at Company or Sweeney Todd, there's probably a song that comes close to Rest in Peace, like maybe Rest in Peace is the inversion of uh, Johanna, which is very light and playful and loving. Um, Because Rest in Peace isn't quite like uh, being alive. It has some shades of that. It could be a little bit like Marry Me a Little. So I was thinking about this. I was like, there's probably probably some good um, angry bro songs. Uh, Maybe there's something in We Will Rock You from Queen Cannon that would fit this. But Rest in Peace does feel very much on its own when I think of standard male songs done in Broadway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just um, hmm. I'm just having a think about various um, 
Mail-esque songs. We've mentioned about um, Phantom with with the Phantom, but um, a lot of the time, um, the male folk, the the male characters within Broadway shows usually do duets and such, and yeah. their I solos mean, don't always get the attention there might they be, There might be something. Uh, there might be something mm. in like Hades Town that is like mm. that, but I prefer Eurydice by Sarah Rule. Um, so I haven't seen Hades Town. Uh, there might be something also in Urine Town, but except for like Rent, thinking about male stylings in rock operas, there's not there's not a lot of them where they seem singularly like rest in peace. So I'm to think about that, and I'm sure people will be in the comments will be like, this song is like that, and this song is like that. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially, uh, Anthony Stewart heads songs in repo the genetic opera do kind of have a rest in peace feel um but i don't know how much of that was uh darren zadudnik doing rock and how much of that was intentional so Hmm. Um, after rest in peace we go to the next morning and this is where this episode starts to influence everything that's going to happen after it uh, because the next 20 minutes of this um, show, essentially, in the middle of it, is everything that is going to tear apart the things that we've known about the Buffy universe and are eventually going to change everything our characters experience. Uh, it's going to lead directly to Willow's dark magic arc. It's going to lead directly to Giles going back um to England to be with the Watchers Council, which is going to influence season seven. It's going to lead directly to Buffy having uh, to take responsibility, not just for Dawn, but for her life and the things she's responsible for. Because part of the series is the push and pull between Buffy's calling as the Slayer and Buffy wanting to either be, you know, a normal girl or to not have to deal with the everyday monster thing and the Hellmouth. And so a lot of things that happen the next 20 minutes of the show from the next morning where Don and Tara have a conversation about Tara and Willow making up to the moment Don is um, is put into a situation where she has to do her ballet thing to Giles singing about not wanting to take care of Don and having that be something that is kind of his red line to the under your spell reprise. The next 20 minutes are all of the things that, except for Anya and Xander, resonate through the rest of the show and change the direction mm-hmm. that the show goes. Um, it's a very powerful 20 minutes. And and when it premiered, I don't know if anybody really, because it just seems like, a, oh, Dawn is becoming a kleptomaniac. She's stealing stuff. Um, and one of the things happens to be uh, Sweet's little insignia thing. So there's kind of a a throwaway thing that maybe Don did actually accidentally summon him. Um, and then she gets uh, kidnapped, so she's going through a damsel in distress period. Um, and then Giles and Buffy have that non-conversation where Buffy is basically ordering ordering Giles to talk to Don about her like kleptomania. And Giles and Tara both having realized what their kind of respective life partners are asking of them is not something they can bear. Tara's like, I am an ethical witch. 
and Willow's crossing lines, including racing my memory. And Giles is like, yeah, I'm kind of your father figure, but I'm not responsible for Dawn. Um, like, uh, it's this really interesting moment of this kind of anti I want song, more of I wish things had been a different way, kind of like the, the yearning closing of a chapter song. And I think uh, standing and the under your spell reprise together is incredibly heartbreaking and incredibly poignant and probably the best portion of this show mm. in my mind. I really do think that this moment is emotional crux that changes the scope of the Buffy universe. And I think this is a moment where Joss has probably gave absolutely no Fs about what mm. he was doing. Cause, cause Buffy at this point was kind of a sacred cow. Um, there were just things that you really didn't mess with and kind of the makeup of the Scooby gang, which had so solidly been even after Riley had left the show, after Mark Lucas had left the show, had solidly been about this group of characters um, for so long. It was a bit of a sacred cow. And to mm. break it apart like happened in this episode and in future episodes is it's kind of a masterwork. I, I wish Joss hadn't been the monster we found out he was, because this episode is a masterwork of what to do well in emotional beat and storytelling. And it makes hmm. me so upset that it's so overshadowed by his legacy. Um, hmm. And and I think the show deserves better than that, frankly speaking. So, uh, but yeah. yeah, so the Under Your Spell um, and Standing is probably one of the better moments of emotional television for people not just of my age, maybe of all television. Um, it doesn't get nearly enough credit. And it gets mm. overshadowed by the upcoming Walk Through the Fire, where Buffy is going to go face down sweet. Because Walk Through the Fire is a great song. It has Joss Whedon's favorite shot of the entire series in it. Um, but it's not as emotionally impactful as Under Your Spell Standing, except for the fact that Walk Through Fire is really about Buffy coming to terms with the emptiness inside of herself. So it it's important, but for me, I think Under Your Spell Standing is probably slightly more important for the rest of the characters and Buffy. It's it's a fine line. It's it's hard to it, it it's a very emotional like it's it's a very emotional portion of time in in the show. So so what I was going to ask you, uh, um, and I understand that this question, you may not have an answer straight away because it probably requires some thought to it. Clearly, this episode and these particular moments we've just talked about are quite impactful, <laughs> to say the least. Would you say that any other series has done anything equivalent to this? in terms of like sheer impact on the story and the narrative um i think in terms of groundbreaking television i would put mary tyler moore on that list because everything mary tyler moore was doing was uh groundbreaking uh there had never been a show about a woman in the workplace like mary before a divorced woman um i was more meaning like a that this episode which is clearly one that rocks the entire story and sends it into a whole other um direction um 
and as you say, like there were certain sacred lines that the fandom had for yeah. the show. Sort of like, and that's sort of sorry. That's all sort of the direction okay. I was asking. We're, like, has anyone has any writer done an equivalent daring move like this? The finale of Oz comes to mind mm. uh, when Beecher stabs Keller in their Julius Caesar show. Um, mm because that toxic love story had been going on for seasons at that point and had been become the crux of why many people watched mm -hmm. the show, me included. Um, obviously, I can't speak for everyone. Uh, I would still put Mary Tyler Moore in there okay. because the way that Mary carried herself throughout the series, both with humor, but also with having the dialogue about what it meant to be kind of striking out on your own was very important. Um, this is why I wish Joss had been a better person, because there's not. There are shows that try to do that. Like, when you think about the run that Glee had, several times it tried so hard to make something like Buffy happen. In fact, Marty Noxon, um, I'm not sure if this is actually true. I learned this, and now I wonder if it was true, but Marty Noxon was part of the writing team for Glee. She was the reason Darren Chris uh, was written the way he was in his early um, portion of time as Blaine. Or at least that's what I've been told. I'm wondering now if that's accurate. But there are a lot of shows that have tried to do this. Ally McBeal, which is kind of a fourth wall breaking predecessor to Buffy, had some things like this. Um, I would argue Freaks and Geeks tried to do it. I would say One Tree Hill always tried to be melodramatic in a Buffy way, in an emotional way, instead of like necessarily a physical plot way. But One Tree Hill didn't do as well um, because that was too grounded in reality. I I think there are moments, but I think for a show that was based around the idea of a cult classic, I think for a show that had specific genre conventions, it was twisting around and turning. Um, I think Buffy kind of does stand alone in this regard. I I would maybe say... Star Trek The Next Generation introducing Q, maybe because it added a mm. religious element that Star Trek didn't necessarily have before, but then that's just me kind of like desperately pulling threads, trying to figure <laughs> out if I can think it, of something. Uh, but a lot of HBO shows mm. like The Wire, maybe Breaking Bad would have had something like this at a certain point. Um, Queer as Folk kind of did in its own way, but it was also very much a show about relationship, but in a mundane way. So maybe mm. Queer as Folk in looking at that. Um, I didn't watch the British version, but I watched the American version, which was very true to the spirit of the British version for the first three seasons. Uh, mm. but, but yeah, I think this was, I think it's because Joss at the height of his power knew he could do something like this. And then, of course, mm -hmm. we get Dr. Horrible sing-along blog um, after this, during the writer's strike, and we get his version of that Shakespeare play that he did in black and white that he filmed like at a house over the weekend. I can't remember which Shakespeare show it is. So Joss didn't have fear about doing this, both because season six was in a new studio, so like he had to kind of restart the series almost and maybe maybe he also thought it was going to fail so he was going to go out with the bang and whether it was well liked or not 
He was like, I'm just going to do this now. Because uh, most of the cast was like, you are going to ruin our careers with this. Because um, <laughs> he and his wife at the time recorded all the songs. And obviously you miss a lot when you're hearing someone else singing a demo tape. Uh, the demo recordings, by the way, can be found on the Once More Feeling uh, CD. They might be on the vinyl as well. But they do have the demo reels from Joss and his wife singing all the songs as like extra songs. Um, mm. So yeah, I, it's one of those things where like there are really important moments in television, and I do think Once More Feeling hits that in a lot of ways. Uh, breaking of convention is so important to Buffy, the way it approaches pop culture, the way it approaches relationship. Um, and the unexpected reveal of Xander as the one that summons Sweet because he was so worried about his marriage, his upcoming wedding, and not wanting to be his dad and that kind of haunted, abusive, alcoholic father that has shadowed Xander the whole time in the series is the whole reason we have this episode which is a great reveal because it's not about Don at all. It's really about Xander's fear. Um, and mm. then when he leaves Anya at the altar later, that fear is realized uh, because like, uh, like a, a male revenge demon, which is what she was doing as a female revenge demon, basically gets revenge on her by getting Xander to leave her at the altar. It, it's a great, like, this episode sets up so much of what we're going to see in season six and season seven, including Xander and Anya missing each other in the finale, uh, which is something Joss was also very proud of. Um, mm. Yeah. But, but what's great mm. is that it's such a subtle thing where you think it's all about um, Don being kidnapped and you think it's about the little trinket and, Oh, Don just made a little mistake, you know, but it's really about Tara and Willow and Tara being manipulated it's about Giles wanting Buffy to take responsibility for her life. And then it's about Buffy walking toward doom. She basically walked through fire is a song about where she's going to fight sweet. And she's pretty sure she's not coming out of the Bronx. Like if you really listen to walk through the fire and you get past the really cute thing with the fire trucks coming at the end, all of Buffy's support system has left her at this point. Walk through the fire is about somebody's support system pushing them out and saying no you have to do this and though the support system says no no in about five minutes they they go after her because they realize she can't do it on her own and spike comes in from a different location as well so he's a different form of a support system um walk through the fire is about it, it walk through the fire is like a D, &D character song for someone going to a dragon den that is pretty sure the dragon is going to eat them <laughs> um, and what's really great about the songs that she sang with Sweet is not about her having a song to sing. It's about having something worth it to sing about. Um, like, th there's a portion of time where I was worried in first watching the episode that this was actually the end of Buffy legitimately. Because there's a portion in, in the end of this episode where um, all the people that Sweet has killed as a demon are spontaneously combusting from like all of the musical energy inside them, like manifesting physically. And so all the people that have died throughout the course of this episode literally don't just spontaneously combust into song. They literally spontaneously combust, uh, which is a really weird and interesting way for a demon to kill people, by the way, because like the first person that dies, you don't even know what's happening. And there's just like this 
tap dance sequence where he bursts into flames. It's it's high art. It's wonderful. It's the best TV art you'll ever see. Um, but Buffy is basically, even though she can heal herself quickly because she's the Slayer, she has all this physical prowess, she's at a point where she's willing to give it up. And not just does Spike save her, but Sweet isn't really a demon that's evil. He is evil, but he's also just reflecting back to all the characters the things that they have not been able to say. And he's very glib mm -hmm. and honest about that. And I think Hinton Battle's time, um, especially in The Wiz, was really instrumental. Because he did some choreography, but really when I think about Sweet, I think about him singing. I think about his quick change from the blue suit to the red suit which I'm very jealous of. And if I can figure out a way to do that at con, that would be amazing. Um, <laughs> there's something really great about Dawn being a catalyst for the last portion of this episode, but it's not about her. Much like season five is about Dawn, but it's not really about Dawn. Um, and then season seven, when Michelle Trachtenberg as Dawn kind of comes into her own, you're, you're still getting part of that for Dawn, but Dawn in this episode is starting to really realize something that she can't verbalize yet about why why she also feels kind of this emptiness and why she's stealing stuff and why she's doing things. Um, that's always the Buffy spinoff I never got and I always wish we had been able to see because in season seven, they give Dawn her own version of Willow and Xander and then we never see him again after the episode they're in. And I'm always bummed by that. Because I always wondered, because Michelle Trachtenberg as Harriet the Spy um, and doing other things, always kind of was able to stand on her own in, in an ensemble cast. And I'm kind of mm. bummed that Dawn never really got that due in the series, except for the episode mm -hmm. where they mistakenly think she's a potential slayer in season seven. Um, but it's... It's such an interesting, because they end the show using these opposite color color palettes for costumes. They end the show with Spike and Buffy kissing um, and literally curtains closing. Like, everyone's very aware what this episode is. They were not trying to hide that it was a musical episode. It didn't feel like the Scrubs musical episode where it was like the, the rug is pulled out from under you, like Scrubs tried to do to give it emotional impact. Um, I think once more feeling is not just an important stylistic episode, but it's one of the people that like greenlit the the uh, the album for this saw it and thought it was the most important moment on television they'd ever seen. Um, and I, I think that was one of the album producers actually who saw it and was like, "Why is there not a cast album of this yet?" Um, and <laughs> fun fact. Uh, until 2007, when the rights were pulled, this was actually on track to becoming, like, the next big midnight movie thing. Like, people were making callbacks. Um, they were showing it mm. in a theater in New York. And when the rights were pulled in 2007, and they had to stop doing it, uh, everybody was sad about that. Um, but this was something where, of a call classic TV show, there was a cult around this particular episode uh, which is really easy to see I, I even if you're not a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you haven't seen a full episode of it 
this will give you all that you need to understand the dynamic of the group in season six. Um, right off the bat, you get vampires being staked and singing in a graveyard. It really tells you all the things you need to know about about the show to get you there in about in about ten minutes. So, <laughs> hmm, I never really thought of this episode as potentially in a late season introduction point, yeah. but uh, it could. Uh, in a way, serves that since pretty much it's uh, explaining what's happened, some stuff that's happened before, and allowing people to pick off from the aftermath of this yeah, episode. I I think this is one thing that it does better than Hush because Hush as an episode doesn't stand alone, and as much as I love Hush, and as much as I love, because the parallels in theming between hush and once more feeling about communication or the lack thereof are very there but in hush when the sound gets turned off and people begin to communicate you still need more context from earlier in the season because if you don't have the context you don't understand why buffy can't talk to riley you don't understand who giles's one-off friend with benefit from england that comes in that we never see again uh, you you don't really understand what Willow is going through because at that point in season four, I don't think she'd really come out yet as much as she was in season six. I can't remember where she was in season four uh, during Hush for the coming out, but I think that's the episode where she and Tara actually share power for the first time. Um, but this episode is self-contained, not just because it's a musical, but it's self-contained because you don't necessarily need to know who Buffy is to get there. Like you, you get everything, you get the information vis- visually, you get it physically. You understand that Buffy is a place where pop culture is celebrated, not shied away from. Um, you understand that they understand they're on a TV show. Uh, it's, it's a little more pronounced because Anya does a lot of fourth wall breaking a la Deadpool but in terms of the series, Anya is always a character that kind of sees through the BS just because she's lived so long. Um, and you get a lot of the emotion of what the characters are going through. Uh, Giles' struggle with being Buffy's father figure isn't new, but it's maybe the first time since she died that he has verbalized it. Because when he leaves the Watcher Council, um, yeah, when he, when he leaves the Watcher Council, it's it's kind of this just accepted thing that he is going to be her father figure. But at some point, she does need to stand on her own two feet. And it's a really great song because it is more of an aside. She doesn't hear him. She's doing a training montage in the background while he's singing. And Willow can't hear Tara. And this is the one time in the show where people can't hear each other um, that are in the same room. And that's why I think it's slightly more important and impactful than walk through fire um i guess they're impactful in their own way i don't i don't want to slam walk through fire because i do think it's an excellent song but if you're looking at this episode mechanically and what it does in terms of the show and for the characters i do think standing and the reprise of under your spell which takes that lovely sapphic overtone and turns it a little mistrustful and bitter um i think that's more important in a way it's less funny but it's more important because walk through fire does have a tinge of hilarity to it 
uh, that you really need in this episode because this episode would be really heavy if nobody was having fun. Like you need the parking ticket song, you need the mustard song, because in concept on paper, this episode really is a very heavy. Like mm. this would be like this would be like uh, the Little Foxes or Streetcar Named Desire. You know, it would be a very heavy, very talked, very brutal episode if yeah. it was not a fun musical romp. And musical episodes aren't usually heavy in terms of its subject matter. Um, if you look at other various musical episodes that you've had, Once Upon a Time, um, you mentioned the Scrubs musical yeah. episode. Oh, there's a few. I was just trying to remember a few other ones, but I don't recall any other musical episodes um, having such heavy subject matter. Yeah, within. there were a couple. Actually, on the Wikipedia page for um, Once More is Feeling, they talk about other musical episodes of shows. Let's see if I can actually find it. Um, they reference uh, the Tonight Quintet from West Side Story when talking about Walk Through Fire, by the way. Um, which I think is relatively important. Uh, also, uh, the soundtrack peaked at number three on the U.S. Billboard Top Soundtrack, uh, by the way, for this. Ooh. So that just tells you... Okay, here it is. So, since Buffy aired, several other series have done musical episodes, including Scrubs. The episode is called My Musical. Uh, Grey's Anatomy did one, and... Batman, nice. Brave, and the Bold. Um, I don't think they've um, updated this portion because you should also now have in here, there was an episode of, I don't know if it was Flash or Supergirl, but they did an episode where Darren Chris played the music meister. Um, I think it was a music meister. And so Grant Gustin Ooh. and um, I think it was Supergirl Flash. sang. Mm. I can't remember. It was, it was a crossover, but so so that is missing. So, um, but yeah, it, it's not, you have to really be on a show where you have a fan base willing to go with the musical episode. I think particularly yeah. the Scrubs one was so lighthearted until the ending. And it was also because JD was always, Zach Graff was always like verging into musical, uh, musical mm -hmm. territory in his mind anyways. So. Yes. Well, that touches, I mean, I was going to say that touches nicely on why I want to talk about this um, episode's legacy and such afterwards. Um, I just want to check first. How, did you want to bring up any more points regarding the context of the episode? I think the context of it most important for me is that in the context of really good Buffy episodes, because not every episode of Buffy was as good as people want to remember it being, but in the context of probably top five top ten Buffy episodes I can't think of a Buffy fan who doesn't have once more feeling hovering around their top three somewhere I think for me I'm such an angel fan in a sense might go above once more feeling but I think in context of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a show you cannot understate how important and how wonderful this is uh, for the fandom and when people bring it up there are smiles on faces all around. All you have to do is 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 like shout the word bunnies at a Buffy fan, and and they'll giggle. And and I think that that you know that really does say something. Um, 
And I love the iconography of Skeet. I do think because when we see demons on TV, even the demons in Charmed tended to be less suave and less dancerly. And Sweet was such a different sort of demon that you really didn't see, again, prosthetically, makeup-wise, and in character until we met Lorne in the later seasons of Angel, um, who had that more kind of femme Oscar Wilde energy. And so mm. I think I think Sweet here should be highlighted almost as a remembrance back to the first from season one, but also potentially toward um, Caleb, who would be Nathan Fillion's evil misogynistic preacher character in season seven. So, yeah, I, I, could, I could ramble about it. It, it really does lead into um, what the series is about, where it's going and where it could go. So, yeah. Yeah. So, in terms of this episode of Legacy, um, I think it really did revive the concept of having music within, so with actually within a show um, for performances and such. Um, I mean, you always had the openings and the closers and such, and if the show was about music to begin with, then that was the thing. But actually having musical episodes or having a show devoted towards um, musical theatrics was something that um, once more feeling really helped to push again. We've mentioned like the musical specials that different shows did. Um, from what I understand, this also had an impact on um, shows like Glee um, emerging and on High School Musical um, becoming a thing as well. Um, and then from there, High School Musical influenced other um musical shows that were coming and movies that were coming out um on the disney channel such as camp rock descendants zombies etc um so there is there's quite a, a, a sizable legacy that this episode's left not just for the buffy verse but beyond that in a whole other segment of television and it is part of a legacy of prestige television. Um, mm. I would think about, I would say music is, music was always rather instrumental in TV in America, at least. Because um, when you think about theme songs for songs, if you think about the Growing Pains theme song, if you think about the All in the Family theme song, mm. I would argue Buffy is following it in the tradition of a show like Murphy Brown. So for those of you that don't know, um, Murphy Brown was a show about this uh, female news anchor. Um, and reporter who was doing all this wonderful work and getting a lot of pushback from the religious right because she dared to have a baby out of wedlock. And this was in the early 90s. Uh, but the reason I bring up Murphy Brown is that music was always part of her show. Um, she kind of revitalized Aretha Franklin's version of You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman because it became like the theme song for her show. Um and so Buffy really follows in this tradition, and then it continues the tradition of musical being okay on American TV. Because I, I, like we've talked about, like I've often said, we have a weird relationship with musicals in pop <laughs> culture here. Like, when I talk about somewhere that's green from Little Shop of Horrors, half the people that respond to me reply with, oh, I've seen that Family Guy episode. Not realizing <laughs> Family Guy was literally lifting that whole law from the show. Or the Shapoopy song from um, The Music Man. So we have this weird 
in America, like, we really love musicals, but we don't, a, a large portion of the segment of the population won't allow themselves to love musicals. I would love to see the mm. intersection between horror fans and musical theater fans that love this episode. I would, I'd be very curious to see what kind of overlap you get. Cause I think there's enough both musical and Gothic elements that you'd have an overlap of people that normally wouldn't hang out together, really kind of hang out and vibe with this. I feel like, um, not to mention the dark willow storyline is one of the most interesting things to see on television because when you think of like a heel turn for a character you think of the wwf and wrestling but what willow does is essentially a heel turn but on a (laughs) scripted tv show um Mm. which is such an interesting way to take a character and you see little glimpses of it in season six and by the time tara is singing the reprise to under your spell You've really Mm. seen how Willow has changed and how much wanting to feel special has corrupted her Mm. because she didn't want to stand in Buffy's shadow. But she wasn't in Buffy's shadow because she was never created to be a Buffy-like character. Um, The closest I can think of such a heel turn from one of Buffy's sister shows was, um, I forget which season it was, but in Charmed, um, Phoebe temporarily becomes the queen of the underworld because she's in love with Cole, who's been taken over by the source, the big bad of the season. Um, but that lasts all of one to two episodes as the queen of the underworld. And she never really committed to it. Like, there's no way she can really be compared <laughs> to Willow's uh, yeah. um, portrayal, like the performance that Willow has in this um, season, but that is the closest I can think off the top of my head. Yeah, Supernatural was always really gun-shy about permanently doing anything to their characters. Oh, yeah. Um, so when we talk about Supernatural, if we ever do talk about Supernatural, because I don't think anybody wants to hear me yammer on for an hour and a half about Destiel, um, <laughs> there's a really interesting thing that Joss always did with Buffy where he pushed out what people expected. And I think that's why people liked Buffy and why people resonate with this episode. The only time he ever pulled back was after one of the episodes was supposed to premiere after a very specific school shooting that happened. And he pulled back on that episode and released it later. Um, But that was earlier in the show's run and he didn't have quite the cachet. Um, I think there's something really interesting to note that while Sarah Michelle Gellar was Buffy, she was also playing Daffy in Scooby-Doo, and she had been on TV for a long... Like, she had been on Swan's Crossing, which was her doing a Mm. soap opera. Um, And so this show was full of professional working actors. I think Nicholas Brendan, who had come to acting from, like, the Harrison Ford route, where he had been doing, like, carpentry beforehand. Uh, Michelle Trachtenberg had been a a student actress since before Harriet the Spy. Anthony Stewart Head was known for theater. Um, and James Marsters... Um, James Marsters was one of the actors that did heavy lifting in Buffy. I would I would say as much as Spike is not my favorite character, his turn in trying to find a soul for himself after his chip is deactivated is very powerful. And you actually start to see it in Once More's feeling how James Marsters 
masterful acting is taking the mythology of the hardened, like Louis St uh, Louis style interview with the vampire, cold blooded killer, and actually showing a reflection of what it means to not have a soul and to not do things with the conscience. Um, and, J and James Marsters acting in the second half of Buffy when they just let him go is phenomenal. Uh, in season seven, when he's essentially being tortured in his mind by the first, and they have this really great scene of him doing like a daredevil thing on a cross and his skin is sizzling is probably one of the most bittersweet important moments in the Buffy verse, but also just architecturally to the show. One of the most great Gothic romantic moments the show does because um, the show is, it's a very romantic show. Buffy is a show about emotion and it's about the way that we romance other people. And I think that's why it works as a musical episode too, really. So. <laughs> mm. Indeed. Oh, wow. I feel like I've been through the full musical myself at the moment. It, it's it's been... really good. It, it's an, it's an hour and eight minutes of television. You'll be happy to see. Um, I'm not actually sure if it's been edited down because it was released as its own disc on a DVD. It's the only episode of Buffy to be released as a singular episode on DVD, so I don't know if that has the actual rest of the eight minutes on it. Um, but it is it is the longest episode of Buffy, so it's the best one hour and eight minutes of TV that you could spend. So, And hopefully one day they might get the rights sorted out again and people will be able to enjoy this as the Midnight flick because i'm sure there'll be lots of buffy fans that would love to have the opportunity to go and see this on the big screen i mean i would do it maybe one day we'll see if once more with feeling will be on the big screen once more uh we're running out of time here so i want to thank everyone for listening in uh thank you magnus for hanging in while i basically opine about buffy for an hour that that's quite all right like one one must regale everyone with what you enjoy so and we will regale everyone more on the next episode of Everything is Gay, Even the Straight Stuff. Have a great day, everyone. Ta-da! Bye! Ta-da, indeed.